Welcome to the Men of Magic, an interview podcast that gets into the lives of your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities, with your hosts, Robert Martin and Chris Atwell. And now, the Men of Magic begins. Welcome to another episode of Men of Magic. This week, we have coverage content manager at Star City Games, the man who makes everything you see on SCG Live happen. Uh, we're not talking about Rashad. We're talking about a man who handles everything that seems to happen at all these events. He has been at every event so far for the SCG Live Tour. And from my understanding, according to Jared, he will be at everyone this year, which is going to be a phenomenal feat. I'm talking about Glenn Jones. Hi. Let's just start right there. You're gonna try to. You're gonna make every SCG event this year. Assuming I don't fall deathly ill or uh, something happened to one of my planes. Yeah, that's the plan. How in the world do you manage to keep that kind of schedule? Uh, well, having a suitcase always packed is step one. <laughs> uh, most weeks it's like you know, fly back, unload the suitcase, wash the clothes, reload the same clothes, like off again. Um. And, like, during the week, uh, try and take breaks, uh, use my vacation days to try and space things out. But a lot of weeks I wind up just working seven straight days a week because uh, I have to prep for the next show. I have to figure out what the next show needs, how to improve what we did last time, review the footage for flaws or other things. So I keep busy. <laughs> that is a mild understatement. How did you get involved in Star City Games? Uh, it's actually a really roundabout story. Uh, I, when I was in, I want to say, college, I think it was college, yeah, um, Star City Games had a WoW site for Star City WoW, the TCG, Okay. and I'd always played Magic a bit, and I read Star City, and I saw the WoW site had an ad for writers to make money, like they were offering a writing contest, so I learned the game for the purpose of writing an article for the contest, because I was like, you know, probably not very much competition. Uh, so I wrote the article. Uh, I, as far as I know, nobody won the contest, but I never saw any announcement of it anyway. But I was offered a regular writing job on this WoW side of the site in exchange for that. Uh, so I took that job, which was at the time edited by Ryan O'Connor. Uh, he passed it off to Will Brinkman when he went to work at Upper Deck, which actually worked for the WoW TCG. Uh, Ryan O'Connor since then moved to Star City and is now our web content manager or something like that. He manages all of our websites and eventually told Pete, you know, we need a coverage guy to go full-time, someone who can manage everything. Uh, I know this guy, and I'd been doing coverage with Ryan at Upper Deck for the WoW TCG for, I think, two and a half years or something like that. So I had enough experience and background in it that he felt comfortable recommending me, and I actually got the job without a interviewing Pete, I met him for the first time when I walked in the office on my first day. That's amazing. Uh, it shows here that you uh, went to the University of Florida. So you're yes. you a big Gator fan? Yes, I am a member of the Gator Nation. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't care for co- I didn't care for college football at all until uh, I actually got to UF. And then it just sort of, you know, became a thing. It became a part of your life. I have to ask, what was it like when you heard that Urban Meyer had to step down due to the physical condition? Uh, I was surprised, honestly. I I don't have 
I, like I said, I'd never been into college sports a lot, so I didn't really realize what the turnover rate on coaching is. And I think it's a little faster than I pictured uh, when I first started following it. Although there are obviously people who, you know, stay for a long time. But, you know, like six to eight years is not an unreasonable turnover rate when I would have expected it to be much longer. Like I was used to Bobby Bowden. Like that was the only coach I'd heard of, really. Yeah, so, and Bobby coached until they basically kicked him out the door and said, you yeah. have to go now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the campus, because from what I understand, the University of Florida campus is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I actually, I love the UF campus a lot. Um, it's very interestingly designed, because uh, it's sort of on a weird slope from the northeast side. Like, everything's downhill from the northeast corner. Uh, and the dorms are situated kind of central, but weaving throughout the campus. So every dorm is close to something, basically. Uh, the only reason you'd be living far away from something you need to get to is because you picked the wrong dorm. <laughs> but it's there are several plazas, uh, a lot of nice buildings. They were renovating the libraries while I was there, which was a big deal. But is there a specific <laughs> memory of college that sticks out for you? Oh, wow. <laughs> that is a tough question. Um, I actually attended what I believe was my first, no, not my, my first comeback to Magic PGU at UF. Uh, they held it in the student center, mm-hmm. and I'd quit Magic for, like, a year or two years or something, and that was, like, the first tournament I played in again. I think it was, like, Rav Sealed, if I recall. Um, so, like, that was kind of cool. I made a lot of friends that I still have to this day at that PTQ, uh, people I hadn't met at the college that I met through Magic, and, like, the guy I wound up uh, becoming roommates with was a Magic player. Um, most of my friends were Magic players, and so... That's kind of a became a really big part of my college experience, actually. What was it like when you first met Evan? How has he been a part of the team? Uh, it's for- funny. I'd met Evan, like met him once. I just interacted with him, basically, not even met him, like at a Grand Prix or something. And I just remembered recognizing him as I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that guy." And I really only knew him as you know the guy who does the magic show, which is actually a very small part of Evan. And I hadn't realized. Uh, really, like, he's just very dedicated. Uh, he's always firing, trying to figure out something better, uh, fixing a process, trying to make everything easier. He's actually, like, the behind-the-scenes at Star City, he's one of the major figures who makes everyone's lives easier, who gets everything on track for everyone. So it was, he has impressed me significantly. You said you live out of a bag, basically. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I do have a residence. <laughs> you uh, actually have an apartment? You actually yes. have some place you call home? Okay. Um I actually got a two-bedroom apartment just because the value was so good. Uh, I couldn't find a – like, the one-bedrooms I found were, like, 500 and then I found a two-bedroom for 545 a month. And I was like, oh, I'll just get the extra bedroom because it's $45 a month to have the extra room. And uh wound up – Lauren Lee is now my roommate uh, in the extra room, so she sits in an empty house for most weekends while I'm off doing opens, but – that's where I live in the meantime. She talked about you. We talked about off the interview. We talked a little bit about what it was like to, you know, get there and then have someone like you to be able to be nice enough to accept her in and stuff like that. What's it been like working with Lauren? Uh, she's very smart. Uh, works herself uh, pretty hard, actually, surprisingly so. And considering how hard I try to work myself, I, I think that's a pretty high compliment. Um, she's very interesting. 
does a lot of things differently, shall we say. Uh, we come from very different places, obviously. Uh, like I lived in Orlando and Florida, and she lived in New York and California. So It's a different lifestyle, that's for sure. To be in New York, you have to be hustling and bustling constantly. It's kind of crazy. Can you give people a little behind the scenes of what it's like, what your job is on a weekend? Sure. For uh, my weekend, generally, I get in the day before the event, uh, get to sleep at a reasonable hour, probably cube the night before, <laughs> uh, if everything goes right, and then wake up in the morning, get to the site a little after registration starts, because SCG Live itself doesn't go on until noon, so I don't have to be there ridiculously early like a lot of our events managers are, but I do get there early to set things up. I try and ask questions, do interviews, and figure out decks that I would like to do interviews on in advance so that as the tournament goes, I can make time for people and get it done as efficiently as possible. Uh, moving on past that, SCG Live goes on at noon, which by then I'll hopefully have written four, three to four articles uh, is my ideal by then. And I try and stay near the booth as much as possible to help them with anything they need, uh, selecting feature matches, getting them their preferences, what they're interested in seeing, and using Twitter to determine what the audience is interested in seeing. And the day pretty much goes on like that as I try and make time for articles in between doing all of those things until I start rolling feature matches towards the end of the day where we cover all of the bubble matches, who's playing for top eight, uh, to try and basically record how the top eight of the tournament was decided. How much feedback are you getting from the Twitter account that's good feedback? We're not talking the troll feedback. We're talking the (laughs) good feedback you're getting from there. Well, one of the reasons that I advocated switching to Twitter as a primary means of communication, and it wasn't just my idea, I think it was Evan's uh, baby first, I guess I should say. Uh, I wasn't even a Twitter user uh, for several months. I only recently started tweeting uh, myself. And SCG Live, attaching someone's name to what they're saying is actually a, a significant weeding factor in bad advice or people saying things they shouldn't, which happened a lot in other forums. And I think that that's been a really good thing. And it's also engendered a community sensation, where like I know these people, even though I don't really know them. Uh, the people who are following SCG Live on Twitter are identities to me, and I feel totally fine talking with them when they have a complaint. I read it, I note it, all kinds of things. So I've really liked Twitter. <laughs> How much of a hand did you have in putting together the coverage teams for the events? Uh, I actually didn't do any of that. I did not know what SCG Live was when I accepted my position. (laughs) Okay. It did not appear in my job description at all. So uh, my responsibilities ballooned quickly. But (laughs) it's been a lot of fun, and I'm very glad I get to work with all of the people I get to work with. They're all interesting and uh, bring something different to the table, especially behind the scenes where a lot of them have different viewpoints and feedback on coverage which is excellent because most of them are avid coverage readers and watchers, so that's been great. How hard is it to pump out as many articles as you do at an event while still trying to take care of all the other things you need to do? Uh, it was really difficult. We've, we hired coverage runners for a lot of our events in order to alleviate some of those difficulties because there's a lot of work that doesn't really require me personally to do, but if there isn't someone else to do it, I have to do it. So we now hire coverage runners uh, to get rid of that stuff, like getting the commentators their deck lists, uh, getting information coordinated between me and commentators when we're not sitting next to each other, stuff like that, so that they don't have to leave the booth to fix their own problems, basically. 
Um, and so that's been very helpful. But at the same time, it's still definitely the single largest hurdle is trying to be able to go out in the field, write the, all these articles, and also be there to fix anything that goes wrong or answer any questions and keep people on task or change tasks when it needs to happen, that kind of thing. The one thing I've noticed that you guys are doing on the SCG Live level is you're doing a great job of making, I would say, the next generation of Magic Stars, such as, you know, you get the Edgar Flores, who was a full-time trader Mm -hmm. and decided he wanted to be a full-time player. And you start feature matching him, and then you get him in the booth and do things like that. I think it's a great idea to develop the next generation. How much of a hand do you have in that, and how much do you enjoy seeing that evolve in front of you? Uh, I have a significant hand in that, and it's one of my main driving factors in how I work. Uh, My features are structured to build up the people that are attending our tournaments, especially these the quote-unquote grinders, as they've all been come to be called, basically. Uh, and I focus on those people and making sure that we can market them and that they have develop a brand. You know, like Louis Laskin has definitely come a long way from his first open win, where he was someone that very few people knew. I didn't even know him, and I lived in the same state as him at the time. So uh, that's just the kind of thing I'm... I love doing, especially because I consider all of these guys my friends. Uh, I'm not super close with all of them, although some of them I've known for years. Like Jerry, I knew before I ever came to work at Star City through various Pro Tours and Grand Prix. Uh, and I'd met AJ and a lot of these guys that way. But working with them week after week has definitely, I've gotten to know them better. And I enjoy being as much a part of their lives as they are in mine. So, Do they give you, like if Jerry, Jerry constantly tinkers with the deck, even though it's the same deck, he'll constantly tinker with it. Does he come to you and say, I've replaced these four cards in it, you might want to look for them at the tournament? Are the guys mm-hmm. giving you tips to help you for your coverage? Uh, all of them are very, very helpful. I actually communicate on Facebook in advance of events with them frequently. Uh, ask them questions, like see if any of them are playing unique decks that they wouldn't mind sharing before the event in order to help me prep the article. Stuff like that. They're all excellent at that, and I think virtually everyone has given me something at least once. So That is something that that I don't think a lot of people know. I didn't know that. I didn't I'm know sure. That, that you had <laughs> I felt that. like I broke coverage when I started doing it. So, <laughs> If you can have you know even a little advice ahead of time, it just it makes your job, you, like you said, you can prep the articles, you can get it set up for the way you want to, and if someone's changing decks, you can almost say, I can get this set up where if the matchups are right, we can put deck A and deck B together and get them to go. Because a lot of people are looking for that. Mm-hmm. As much as the format right now seems, the standard format seems kind of stale, quote, Okay. I, I agree. No, how difficult <laughs> is it for you to pull the decks in standard that are different and get them on the screen? Uh, it has been hard. There are definitely weeks where we don't have as many deck decks as I'd like. Ideally, I hit three, but it gets harder and harder, especially when there's nothing new being introduced into formats. Uh, a big part of figuring that out is really just trying to patrol the tables and using the information I get in advance. And I have excellent people like uh, Louis Laskin and Ali and Trazi, who if they happen to be there, I just beeline straight for them because I know they've got a brew, you know. <laughs> is there a 
Legacy has got to help as far as deck techs and ideas go because it seems like you can get a top eight and there's eight different decks in there. That's got to be fun to be able to play with. Yeah, that. Legacy is a really diverse and interesting format. Uh, it's one of the formats where what I've always liked about it is that it's not actually shaped by its metagame as fiercely as Standard is. And that what I mean is when some deck becomes very powerful in Legacy, it doesn't convince people to like switch to that deck. It just convinces people to switch their decks to beat that deck. They like playing what they were playing so much that they'll just continue doing so, adapting to beat the new threat. And that's not true on like the really high levels. Like A lot of the grinders are perfectly willing to switch to a deck when it becomes powerful. Um, but even some of them have pet decks. Like, you know, Edgar Flores learned Team America. That's like, he's not a very grounded legacy player, but that's the deck he knows how to play, and he's sticking with it. So every week he just changes it a little, tries to make it work, and it paid off, obviously. He's gotten two top eights in his worst format. So. As a coverage writer, how much fun is it when you have someone that goes back to back to back to back top eights in two tournaments in a row? Uh, it's it's really impressive. Uh, I I was actually rooting for AJ all weekend. Uh, just when he came so close in the standard, because AJ has gone for a long time without a trophy. He's been a perennial bridesmaid at so many tournaments, and he's so good. He's my favorite. He's actually my favorite player to cover, which I told him this weekend. I'd been asked before by other people, um, and I love covering him because he plays. And some of the reasons are ridiculous, of course, because he actually plays at a very deliberate speed, which is very easy to cover. Um, that helps. But he's also good, and he may, rarely makes mistakes. He considers all of his plays. Uh, I feel like I get better at Magic just watching him, so that's all those reasons are among the reasons I like watching him play. And I was really rooting for him this weekend, and I was very glad to see him get there. When you see that moment when he's achieved the trophy... And, you know, you've pushed so hard. You know, when you do interviews like this, it's very hard not to want to see that person do well. Okay? Mm-hmm. You, you, like you said, you actually are out there with them. You get attached to them and so on and so forth. The moment that he won, what was your first thought? Finally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was AJ's, too. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, like, honestly... I- I actually wrote in the lead-up before that tournament that he was probably just the best player on our circuit to not have a trophy, and I'm glad that that has changed. Jerry T's comments about the fact he's not giving away any more games anymore. Yeah, I did. I responded on that thread, actually, with a thank you. (laughs) It's always a letdown to select, like, a Jerry Thompson match for late in the tournament, and it wind up being a scoop, and I'm just like, ah, rats, because the viewers love to see him play. Uh, and we love to put them up there. So I want to joke like the cat and mouse game where the, <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm way out in front of you. I'm going to let you come back. I'm going to let you come back. And now I'm going to pull the cheese away. I'm going to step in and show you how it's done. So what you're saying is he's going to win at least one of the two events next weekend? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go that far necessarily, but I certainly would be interested in seeing him try, obviously. I... Uh Top eight minimum in at least one? I think it's hard to put Jerry as not a favorite to top eight either, like one event a weekend, honestly. Uh, he's always among the strongest players in the room, and the only real limiting factor is the rest of the competition and how well he runs a lot of the time. Since you're right there on the ground with it, how much has the actual 
level of magic improved since you have so many of these events going on? Because before, you know, we just had the GP circuit, okay? Mm-hmm. Now that we're having a regular series that's coming out basically every week, how much have you seen the level of magic improve just from being a part of this? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think the opens are definitely, people are, you know, realizing that dedicating themselves to magic, even as players, not just necessarily as writers or marketing people or whatever, uh, can really pay off. And obviously these grinders are among the first wave to really do it successfully and already had strong backgrounds. But, uh, you know, these aren't the level 8 pros that are grinding our tournaments. These are the guys who grind PTQs and occasionally win them and go off to the Pro Tour. You know, those are the people who are showing up to open events, and that's who all of our grinders used to be. They're not very far removed from that class. So I think it's demonstrated how reachable uh, open series success really is. And it's also demonstrated a lot of interesting things about the metagame. I know uh, Aaron Forsyth commented a few weeks ago that he found it just kind of dazzling how fast uh, standard or formats in general mature when they're given just a tournament every week, basically, uh, which was one of his things over, I guess, Callblade. Uh, getting there so fast was normally, you know, it takes people time to figure out the best deck. They don't just start crushing with it immediately, but because there were all these opens between Paris and, reg- and regionals and national qualifiers, uh, the deck was so established by the time they rolled around, there was, really wasn't any question of what the best deck was at the time. Who is the grinder that we're not talking enough about? <laughs> as far as as far as people that are doing podcasts go, because podcasting is a large growing segment, as you know, by having UMDG Taps on on the site. Who are, who should we be talking more about that we're not talking more about? Maybe a couple uh, names. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, let me actually go to our page while I talk. Uh, one of my personal favorites is Drew Levin who I had the pleasure of meeting for the first time at our last Invitational, and who I've since grown to consider a good friend and a very smart kid, uh, trying to make himself a much better Magic player. And he's given the Legacy community something they sorely righted and sort of a champion of the format, which is just very interesting to watch develop. He and I have been trying to set up getting on together, except for it always seems that our schedules get messed up. (laughs) But we're still working on it. That's why when you said... Drew Levin, what is it, you said, you know, obviously he's a champion for the legacy community, but what is it about Drew that caught your eye that said, this is the, one of the guys we should be watching for? Uh, he's he's really fun, uh, is one of the things I would say. Like, he's always enthusiastic. Uh, and it takes a lot to get him down, and I like hanging out with him. When he does badly in a tournament, you know, he'll come over and you can actually feel it with him. And uh, that's rough, but generally speaking, he's... Enthusiastic, he's always willing to share his opinion. Uh, at tournaments, I see him, you know, talking with people about their legacy decks. Like when they come up with questions, he'll answer them. Uh, he's just a really outgoing, sociable guy. A great guy for Magic, I think. Who else is the next guy we should be talking about? Hmm. Let's think for a minute. Uh, I know we have actually had Shaheen Sarani, who hasn't been grinding these as fiercely as some of the other players, but uh, is has been a long time just one of those guys uh, on the side. Mike Flores has talked about him for years whenever he mentions any blue-white deck. Um, and Shaheen's a bright guy. He has interesting deck-building ideas. He likes to think outside the box, as a lot of people have some occasionally mocked him for. But uh, this weekend, his outside-the-box was Strider, Harness, and Callblade, which 
I don't know if we're going to see it catching on, but <laughs> it's definitely something that I don't think a lot of people would expect anyone to propose. So that's just the kind of guy Shaheen is. You know, he's a really interesting uh, deck builder. He's never afraid to call out an idea, even if it looks like Strider Harness. <laughs> when you're doing a feature match and you're writing the article for it, especially in Legacy, turns tend to take a little longer, which makes it a little easier for you to do. And Standard sometimes, sometimes Standard can go fairly quick unless it's a cop leaving Then, Then it could take forever. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping for out of a... A game of match? Are you looking for like three games? Are you hoping for uh, an extended game so you can write more stuff? What are you looking for out of a, of a match? Uh, I always joke with uh, the players that uh, the person who wins the first game is the one I'm rooting for because he's the one likely to 2-0 and save me some time. But uh, truthfully, I always I like to see really good matches. Uh, I actually love watching Cobblade Mirrors because they're so tactical and strategic, and it's really interesting for me as a player to write them, and making sure I actually capture the nuances of them in writing is uh, a challenge. But I try and get there as often as possible. And I know our view, a lot of our viewers don't share that, so I've made sure to temper how many Cobblade Mirrors I give them, given how often they occur per tournament. Uh, but it's... I, I definitely appreciate deep, interesting games. Uh, the quantity of them doesn't really matter that much to me. I mean, I, it's more convenient for me because of all the work I have to do to, if a match doesn't go to time. Uh, in Charlotte, I actually managed to pull matches that multiple matches went to time. Multiple matches had time extensions that I was covering, which just destroys my ability to do a lot of other things. But uh, personally, that's not a big deal to me. Uh, I'm just trying to get a good match that people will be interested in, in reading about. Let me ask you an unusual question because you do really good work on this. What happens if the mothership comes up and knocks on your door and says, hey, how would you like to do some coverage at <laughs> Grand Prix blah, blah, blah? Um, it's it's funny you say that because I, I know most of the people who work coverage for Wizards, and yeah. one of the newer ones, Frank Lepore, who also does a podcast, Untapped, I think, yes. is the name of it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he recently began doing coverage work with Wizards, and uh, I recommended him to people I know, and I, I like Wizards. I haven't actually worked for them myself, although several of my friends have. Um, it might be an experience I'd be interested in, but uh, getting it with my schedule, a lot of the times I'd just rather go play in a GP that weekend, considering I probably have an open weekend before and an open weekend after. <laughs> Let's say Worlds comes up to you, and uh, Bill Starks is looking for another person to do coverage. Would that be something that would interest you as a as a as a writer and as a player? Um, yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, I would definitely consider it. I'd have to figure out my options. I don't. I know I will be at Worlds regardless, uh, given that it's part of like a three tournaments in California weekend. I plan to just take the entire month off on my uh, vacation and just fly out there. So. I'll be there either way for sure, but it's it would be a unique experience. Uh, the first tournament I actually covered as an employee for a company was the WoW TCG World Championships in 2007, so it would be kind of a strange parallel, I guess, but uh, I've got experience covering in those large tournaments, and there's so much going on, there's so much fun, and being involved with it from, in any way is definitely just awesome. Pressure, was it the first time you did coverage? At the at that championship, it's gonna sound like really arrogant, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I didn't do 
the first event I did coverage for, I just volunteered to help them out, and they threw me some, like, booster packs or whatever. Okay. Uh, and it was, wow, nationals, which, uh, like, it wasn't a real job. And I was kind of apprehensive about it, but Ryan said, you know, here, we'll just have you do some stuff. And uh, I did really well. So they invited me for Worlds. And so I go to Worlds, and I'd had a little experience. I'd done it for, like, a day. Uh, and then this time I brought pants, which was something I hadn't brought before. You're supposed to look nice when you're doing coverage, you know. So uh, I did coverage, and I, I remember, like, counting the volume of my output was just huge compared to everyone I was working with, and I felt really proud about that, which is obviously a very shallow and childish kind of thing, uh, very competitive. Uh, but I'm a competitive guy, and at the time I was pretty much a child, so I don't feel so guilty about it now. If you're striving to be the best at anything, why not be proud of yeah. Doing well. I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if, if you're proud of your work and you're proud of yourself, yeah, you should be. You know, it's like, hey, I do good work. And that's an important thing to have in anything you do. I think confidence leads to more success. Mm-hmm. I, I remain very competitive about that kind of thing. Uh, I always try and get more articles each week, like get as much as I can done. So, Is there anyone that helps you write? Because it doesn't look like it. Uh, no, I don't have a writer, and I actually don't have an editor either. Uh, most of the articles go straight to posting after they've been coded and given pictures and everything like that. Is that something that would help you, or do you think because of the type of person, your personality, that it would be just better that you handle it from start to finish? Um, I don't have a problem. Uh, Ryan used to work as an editor for me when I was at Upper Deck, and I've had other editors in the past. I don't have a problem with someone editing. Realistically, our system kind of is slow right now, although we're working on fixing that. So editing is just not uh, very feasible or a realistic use of the people we have available's time. Uh, I turn in pretty clean copy, so I'm not concerned about it from that regard, although there's the occasional typo, which we have to go in and fix. Well, now I'm going to turn on your, your game player hat. With the set coming out and rumor, well, not rumors, but the uh, Magic League with this Splinter Twin deck that's supposed to be able to demolish Cobblade. Mm-hmm. Are you excited about what is forthcoming and that standard could possibly change? Uh, very excited. Uh, I think New Frexia looks like a pretty incredible set, actually. Uh, a lot of interesting things for multiple formats, which is really rare for a set to accomplish, I think. Uh, we've got, like, Mental Misstep shaking up Legacy. We've got these potential combo decks shaking up Standard. Uh, there are good cards for EDH, even, you know, and the free cards are obviously going to have ramifications in Standard for years, probably. Uh, so... I'd say, yeah, it's a really exciting set to me as a player, as a coverage person. I'm also just really excited whenever a new set comes out because it always leads to people trying interesting things and experimenting and just going nuts. You cube, but how much do you get to play? Uh, my my week, I generally try uh, we EDH on Tuesdays a lot, although I haven't been doing it lately just because I've been very busy. Uh, I, I like to play Commander. Uh, it's just kind of a fun format, and I build my decks to be like really thinky and grindy. Lauren hates watching them actually, uh, because it just takes forever to do everything. But like that's what I find kind of fun. Okay, who's your and, commander? Uh, right now, it's Glissa the Trader. Really? Yes, I actually played the deck today. Uh, Brad Nelson was in the shop because he's doing our 
pre-release in Richmond, uh-huh. and we played my deck off the top with the general removed. And it was amusing because thinking back on it, I'm actually not sure how the deck wins without the general because all you do is try and grind the other person to death. And like he resolved a Praetor's Council on me, but it didn't really do anything. It just drew him like a ton of cards that take these tiny advantages, and the game was clearly just going to go on forever. And I didn't know how it was going to ever end. <laughs> <laughs> When you're in the shop and Brad Nelson comes in, what was it like spending the afternoon with Brad? Uh, well, I only got to spend a little while with him because okay, I was while. working. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I know I know Brad. We met at a G- I want to say GP Dallas was the first time we met. Um, although I think I was in a three v three that he was involved in at Pro Tour Honolulu, ah. if I recall correctly. But obviously, like no one knew who Brad was then. I just kind of remember seeing him. So. I mean, I shouldn't say no one knew, because some people knew, but uh, that was like his breakout tournament, making ninth at that Pro Tour. The 3v3s. Mm-hmm. That is one of the best things that happen on the side for these events. And to see sometimes the level of competition in those events can be almost more intense than the actual tournaments themselves, because they play, and they play for to win. <laughs> Yeah. What is it like uh, to be a part of one of those? Uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. I've always, uh, f- I come from Florida originally, and Florida is well known for not only money drafting often, but having uh, some of the more obnoxious members of the money draft train. Uh, and I have took my lessons from the best, shall we say. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot of fun, and the smack talk and the trash talk is a big part of it, and people are really serious uh, trying to win, but they're also often quite seriously trying to demoralize their opponents. <laughs> so, Is there a 3v3 that you would like to be a part of that you haven't been a part of? Like, if you could sit there and say, I could give you, you could take anybody right now, two people to play with and three people to go against, who would they be and why? Oh, I, I couldn't really narrow it down. I don't think I've played against, like, I've played against or with or at least watched so many. Um, I've, uh, hmm. Think about it for a minute. I've, I've I've played against PV I think twice in three v threes now, mm-hmm. uh, and in both times I believe he he defeated me both times. Uh, and in one of them he just got me out of nowhere with an absorb beast by like he was really far behind and I didn't expect the card at all and like I only thought of it really as a land cycler and occasionally you burn someone out with it and I just kept taking these tiny incremental packages of, dan- of damage here and there. And eventually he just got me, and I, I remember, like, thinking afterwards, I was like, wow, like, that was just one of the worst games I've played, if you actually just think about it, because it was so obvious the only ways he could get out. Uh, so, like, I, I learned a lot playing against him in those matches. I learned a lot against playing against everyone, really, it's uh, hard to say. Uh, I always enjoy playing with my friends from Florida. Uh, among them, I count Chris Finnell and Zach Eflin, who are notorious for their trash talk, so... I guess I wouldn't mind having them on my side instead of across from me. <laughs> is there a side of you that does all this coverage that would like to sit there and be actually at the table playing? Uh, I always get the juice to play, like, after a tournament, definitely. Uh, like, not during the tournament so much, but just afterwards. You know, I've watched everyone play Magic all weekend, and a lot of the times I've watched people make mistakes, which oddly makes me want to play, because I'm just like, oh, God, that was so bad. Like, I would never do that. Nah, 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 nah. But, of course, we all do that at some point. You know? There's no doubt about the fact that we, we can watch as many of these matches as you want, and you have the troll feed on. It's, oh, God, why was he playing that? What was he thinking? It's sit there. You can 
play as much magic as you'd like. You could watch as much magic as you like, but if you're not sitting there in the chair making the decision, it's difficult to call. And that's one of the things that I find fascinating is to have someone who's not there, not at their level, making judgment calls that just fascinate me. It's like, are you kidding me? Really? No. (laughs) How much Twitter feed feedback on that of like why is why is it this matchup or why are we getting you know why is this person on not that person are you getting a lot of that too or is it just mostly positive uh i don't i get some of that not a lot like mostly when it's just a matchup they don't want to see uh stuff like that coverage is really subjective which is one thing like you're never going to please everyone all the time it's just not possible uh so I think people generally understand that, although occasionally uh, people are frustrated, especially there was one tournament where just virtually every deck in contention was Callblade. Uh, and obviously, like, in Boston, we wound up with a seven Callblade top eight or whatever, and it's like we tried to get as little Callblade as possible uh, featured because people were so annoyed with watching it, but, you know, past a certain point, there's only so much you can do. I was told by Jared to ask you about the prank that happened from Los Angeles. The prank from Los Angeles? Yes. I, uh, I'm, I'm unsure which... I, I pulled a few pranks in Los Angeles, and some of them are a little more appropriate than others, so I'm a little concerned <laughs> okay. Okay. as to which one he meant. <laughs> How about the one that he might have known of? Uh, well, there was... All right. Well, there was an adult convention... Yes. Going on. Yes, uh, there was. <laughs> very, very close to our tournament, and a number of us uh, decided to check it out on our day off. <laughs> Especially, I'd actually been in Los Angeles for a week, so uh, we went and checked it out, and it was pretty underwhelming on Friday, although I've heard things picked up over the rest of the weekend, so our loss, I suppose. Uh, but one of the things that the place gave you was a chip that was $5, but you could only spend it in the room. And... We decided to use the chip on, we, we thought about a variety of, uh, of options, but we decided to use it on some, shall we say, uh, adult toys. Yeah. And naturally, we decided to do the most mature thing, which was to hide it in the luggage of unsuspecting members who had decided to not go on the trip to the convention. <laughs> so one uh, member ended up, he goes through airport security, uh, he gets through fine, and the guy who planted the thing on his bag actually gets frisked by security, and they go through his bags and everything. And this guy the whole time is just like, why is it me? Why is it not him? Because it would be so much funnier. And so uh, he's getting made fun of after he gets through security. Adam is his name, and uh, Wes, who has been the unforeseen victim of this prank, uh, says, you know, this is making fun of him for getting screened. And he's like, well, you have a you know, thing in your bag. And Wes is like, what? No, I don't. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, you do. And so Wes, uh, no, that's not possible. $10 says I don't. Adam, of course, having placed it in his bag mere hours before, <laughs> immediately <laughs> snap called the $10. And, and Wes was very, very surprised to find it. Uh, the other buyer that we played this trick on uh, was named Travis. And he actually didn't find it at all until he got home. And even when he got home, Wes knew that it was there, and so Wes had messaged me when his was discovered and asked, like, did you put a thing in Travis's bag? And I didn't know if Travis had found it when he texted me, so uh, I took it, I took the safe route. I didn't want to 
you know, give away that I was the culprit if he was super mad or if something bad had happened. So I was just like, uh, well, what do you mean? And I'm hoping he'll give me the story or, like, the scoop on what's happened so far. But Wes did not fall for my ruse, and he just messaged back, Did you put a dildo in Travis's luggage? <laughs> to which I responded, Oh, that! Yes! <laughs> and uh, Travis eventually found it very cleverly hidden in the lining of his luggage, where I'd half hoped that it would just rest for months, but... Was not to be <laughs> until he gets busted in airport security. <laughs> answer the question. That's not mine. That's really not mine. <laughs> but how much of that fun stuff keeps you kind of sane from doing this? Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of crazy to be honest. So uh, it's just in my nature. Like as soon as we got the five dollar chips, I just already knew what we were going to do with it. You know, didn't even have to think about it. Um. So it's just sort of, I mean, I really do love what I do. Uh, I have a lot of fun doing it, even covering matches, writing. I've, I've been a liberal arts major. I've spent all of high school writing. Uh, it's just, it doesn't even register to me as work half the time. Uh, if I'm writing something I enjoy, which a match of magic tends to be very frequently. Obviously, you got feedback from last weekend. Mm-hmm. Our community, which I call the podcasting community, there wasn't a person who did not love Gerard, they think he's just, G-Fabs is just ridiculously good at this. I agree. I thought I, I thought Gerard would be good, and he surpassed my expectations. Uh, he was excellent. The only real criticism I had of him behind just some minor things was uh, that he didn't give himself enough breaks to make sure that he wasn't going to kill himself. <laughs> I was concerned part of the way through uh, Saturday that he was just full steam, not taking breaks. I was like, oh, man, he's just going to completely annihilate himself, but no, he kept it going, uh, powered through the weekend. He's a machine, I tell yes. you. Now, had, have you been a part of his little show? When he does the little comment, everyone's a winner, have you been a part of that? <laughs> I think I sat in on one in Atlanta. Okay, uh, so I, don't, I don't believe I partook, but like I was just around at the time. Okay, so you uh, know the reason of why he does that. Okay, I just wanted to make sure, because a lot of people don't, and I think that's innovative as far as just making himself a, a unique personality. And I told him, I said, what you need to do is you need to pack up, you need to move out to California, <laughs> and you need to kick old man Chuck Woolery off and take over. <laughs> because he's a natural at it. It's just, it's who he is. It's in his DNA to be that dynamic, quote, game showy type personality. And I, I said, you have the wrong calling, you know. That's where you need to be. You don't need to be where you are now. And then, of course, watching him this weekend, it was just like, it's everything I envisioned and more, like you said. The one thing I would love to see him do is instead of being the lead, lead I want him to slide over and be play-by-play. And you put him with Joey or you put him with Davin where he can be John Madden. I yeah. think that would take him one step beyond. Uh, it's... Certainly a possibility. Uh, we have a lot of interesting things in store for season two of our coverage following in Indie Invitational, which I have had a significant hand in constructing and selecting. And I think people are going to be very pleasantly surprised with what we're doing. Uh, we'll be debuting that information at some point, although I'm not sure when. But <laughs> How difficult is it to put together these teams? Because it's, uh, it's, it's a work. It's, it's obviously 
a work in progress. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you know you didn't instantly you couldn't go out and say I'm going to pull in Rich Hagen and BDM. I mean, you know, that's the Madden and Summerall of the group. You you just can't say you guys come in and do this. You had to kind of put this together, find what matchups worked, and find out what people liked. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun uh, talking to the various people uh, that we've considered for this and thinking about it and getting ideas from everyone. It's really interesting. It's nice that we have had people like BDM and Rich Hagon and even Randy Bueller and OSIP and like all those people who did color commentary back in the day. Uh, we've had those trailblazers to give us ideas of things that worked, things that didn't, like how funny, how, how funny you can be, how funny can sometimes go too far, uh, stuff like that. And it's definitely been very helpful. We've actually started also paying attention to StarCraft, which has a similar concept, if not in, like, content, but in execution of what we would like to be trying to do. Uh, and I don't play StarCraft at all, but the videos are definitely impressive, and the commentary has given me a lot of ideas. I think there's an untapped thing that you could do with this that would help your coverage. This is just me as being an observer of the coverage. Okay. I know it's impossible because it would require another camera, but if you had someone... Even, I know, like, you have no time to do this. But if you took a camera and just, like, even Friday evening, because that's usually when everyone gets in this Friday evening, mm-hmm. and kind of do what Evan does and just take a guy, sit him down, give him five minutes on camera, so that could be something that Rashad could pull into the coverage for when you're having... Perfect example is, okay, our feature match is Jerry Thompson against... Some local who's doing real well, who's 5-0, okay? He's got an innovative deck. You've sat down Friday night with Jerry. He's talked about his deck. You have it on camera. You have that time in between, like, after the match that you could say, and now we're going to go to our interview with Jerry Thompson that we did Friday, talking a little bit about his deck, then cut from that, and then in the booth, you know, with whoever the host is, there's Jerry T., yeah. I mean, uh, coverage like that is something I'm definitely... I'm interested in more video coverage. I would like video coverage to be integrated with our written coverage yeah. along with the live feed. Yeah. And when Evan is on site, that's something we can do, which we did do it at the Invitational. Uh, the biggest thing is, like, it, it just requires another person, really. Yes. Uh, it also has a significant t- technological commitment to it. It's definitely something that we are intent on exploring. I can okay. say that. That is something, even if it's, like I said, from, you know, a little background on the decks or just maybe, like, especially right now with everything changing, it's such an opportunity to kind of get thoughts in there that could help the guys when they're doing coverage. And also that, like, say you do a five-minute segment with somebody, Uh it's five minutes that both coverage people don't have to be there. Yes, I agree. So I'm just as a podcaster and an observer of this, I'm always looking at how can you guys take this to the next level. Mm-hmm. I obviously want to see this get better because it helps my cover my view of this. So when I do my podcast or interviews or whatever, that I can bring these kind of things up. So that's just me observing and seeing what you guys can do. What else do you think? you guys could bring into this that 
hasn't been has been talked about but not put into play yet? Uh, well, we're definitely looking at various things. I can't talk about all of them. Uh, the MTGO. I sorry. Tease one. Uh, like I I would like to say MTGO we've recently integrated uh, into our coverage and we're excited about doing much more with that. Uh, it's a great thing that Wizards handed us the account so that we can play Legacy online, which is a huge deal because that's the hard hardest thing to be able to do. <laughs> yeah, no As kidding. I'm sure. Even harder can sometimes be finding legacy opponents <laughs> during okay. the middle of the day. <laughs> Trying to find the people who can afford to be a legacy opponent at MTGO is the problem. Yes. So I really like that because it allows two really great players to be in the booth, to be on there pulling up the screen so everybody at home is watching. And when they're talking about it, they can literally talk about what's happening. So you're literally stepping into their thought process as they play. That's a great idea. How did that come together with uh, Wizards helping you out with that? Uh, it was something I can't remember who mentioned it first. I want to say that it was Evan, because it sounds like one of his good ideas. Uh, <laughs> but he was definitely the point man with that, because he has more contacts at Wizards than most of us. And uh, I believe it was worth, I'm not 100% sure who actually was uh, integral in getting us the account. And... We're very glad to have it. Uh, so big thanks to our friends at Wizards of the Coast for that one. One thing I have to ask is, and I brought this up in the beginning with Evan, when he, when I did his interview with him, he talks about the fact that he'll work, he'll come home, he'll put his kids to bed, he'll come back to work. Hmm. The fact that the hours that it seems like everybody at Star City is committed to work what is it like working as a part of a team that you realize that the commitment to what you're doing, everybody's giving 100%? Uh, it's it's excellent. Very, very fulfilling to not only do a job that I love, but to work with people who clearly also love what they do. Uh, it's one of the best parts of the job, to be sure. Uh, I don't remotely dread going into the office uh, any day of the week. So, You actually go into the office? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. I work five I, days a week at the office. I wasn't sure because it seems like you're working five days yeah. a week on the road. Well, uh, when there's not an open, I am at the office unless I've taken vacation for whatever reason. Is there anything that you could see from in from internal at Star City you could see could help you do your job better? Um, I, of course, another person, uh, especially like someone in the video role, uh, would be very helpful in order to make that production of content possible. Uh, so I, I'm interested in something like that, and hopefully it's something we'll be able to make happen in the relatively near future. What you need to do is just clone Evan, <laughs> and he can go with you every week on the road. I mean, Evan's already been cloning himself with his kids, so <laughs> just got to wait. <laughs> I, I know places are starting to hire young, but, you know... <laughs> You know, let's give the kids a little time to get a little older. <laughs> so you guys have done such groundbreaking stuff. And like I said earlier, you guys literally changed what Wizards thought about what the GP circuit should be, just based on what you've done. And I think that's an amazing step forward for Magic, that now everybody wants to replicate the success you've had. Yeah, uh, it's definitely impressive. I think a large part 
of like this. There's clearly a niche here that just wasn't being filled, mm-hmm. and we stepped up. And I think probably the biggest reason is you know you needed someone not only with the c- capacity, and we have like our events managers are just incredible. Like working with them is actually one of the biggest treats in my job. Uh, Jared, obviously, who you also interviewed, uh, but there's also Nick Saban, Tasha Jameson, uh, Ricky Hayashi, Jason Reedy. And uh, I believe we're going to have more people. And please don't let me have forgotten anyone. But <laughs> uh, they're all incredible and put in a ton of time. And they put in more hours than me, probably, like as, as a collective. They get the occasional week off or whatever because only three of them go to each event. But, I mean, that's still incredible. Give me your best Ricky story. Oh, my best Ricky story. Wow. There are so many good ones. Uh, my favorite was his passionate advocation for the the Packers. <laughs> I think it was in I want to say Memphis. Uh it's so hard to actually remember what city we were in. Uh I know it, it wasn't in Memphis, was it? Maybe it was in it was in Indy, I think. Uh anyway, like he got a a cheese head from Adrian Sullivan. Yeah, that made it in. That's Indy. Uh which he happily wore just all weekend long. He came on the feed with the cheese head. Uh <laughs> It was just excellent. Uh Ricky is just so fun. Uh, at all times. When he was at Grand Prix Dallas, he was actually playing. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to see. And, and and I'm sure now with your relationships with these guys, it's kind of the same thing. Where he comes in and people are just, all the pros are like, Ricky, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And, and they're just surrounding him and <laughs> talking to him. Is that the kind of same thing you get when you go in there that you're getting that kind of you know, AJ will come up to you and say, hey, you know, how's it going, and this, that, and nothing. thing. Are you getting that same kind of feedback from the grinders? Because the people that are there that are there for the weekend, they're not the same. It's not the same crowd. What I'm saying is from the grinders. Uh-huh. Um, well, like with Ricky, like Ricky knew a lot of those guys through judging and through before when he worked at Channel and stuff like that. Uh, in the same way, I kind of knew a lot of those guys. Uh, Drew Levin is a person I've definitely been very happy to become friends with, as I mentioned. Like, I didn't know him at all before this job, so that's certainly one example uh, of how coverage has produced a friendship there. Um, but I, I'd say that's true, sure. Uh, I've definitely become closer with all of these guys, learned more about them. Well, we're right about the hour moment, hour of the show, and I. this is, like I, I tell everybody, this is just step one of the process, about a calendar year time, we'll be coming back. And hmm. by then, who knows how big the Star City Games Open Series will be by then. Um, you may actually take a week off by the time we do this. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Is If people want to get a hold of you, if there's something else we need to promote for you yet, this is your opportunity. Sure. Uh, you're at the feedback you gave me on... Uh SCG Live, I'm always willing to take anything like that. I get probably a couple emails a day, or maybe a couple, I'd I'd say probably like five a week uh, minimum uh, with random suggestions, and anyone is welcome to submit those things. We also post surveys on our Facebook, but my email is glenn.jones at starcitygames.com All of anything you've got will go there, and I will read it, so don't say anything to me. Uh, I also am now on Twitter at SecludedGlen with two N's, as per my name. And uh, those are pretty much the two best ways to contact me. Is there anything else we need to promote before the end of the show? 
uh, obviously you're going to be at every event, so I don't have to promote the next event you're going to be at, but is there anything you'd like to wrap up the show with? Well, when is this going to air, actually? Uh, will it be after Orlando or Louisville? Or? It will be aired, I edit, the next day, because like, I do it an hour, two hours for every hour I do. So that's why I do it an hour. It'll be sent in probably Wednesday night. It could be up as early as Thursday. Thursday, okay. Well, then I'll just tell people to go to the Orlando Open because that's in time to make some plans. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So on that note, Robert Martin, Glenn Jones, it's been another episode of the Meta Magic. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. It's glad to be here.